Welcome into another edition of the Raptors Pod Table Podcast, joined by a special guest this week, NBA.com contributor, very, very um, knowledgeable basketball mind. He's been a contributor to the site for, for some time now, Matt Blum. Welcome, Matt. Thanks for joining. Hey, thanks for having me, man. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, you know, it, it's good finally to uh, get a chance to talk about these takes, uh, you know, back and forth rather than just, you know, uh, reading some stories and, and, and getting having back and forth that way. So it's definitely exciting to do that. Been a busy mm-hmm. week. Uh, you know, I know we saw some reports this past week about uh, some things that are happening as it relates to the 2020-21 season. It seems like it might be here uh, before we know it. We're like, I guess at the time of you guys will hear this or at the time recording it too, we're less than two weeks away from the NBA draft. And now it seems like the season's going to start uh, around Christmas time, which means that free agency is going to happen like, <laughs> like around November 20th. And we're going to have like a wild six to eight weeks as we lead up to the season. So like, how can you even imagine how this is going to even unfold? Like there's a bunch of stuff that needs to be sorted out and a lot of uncertainty and we're like figuring out as we go and free agency is going to be busy. So, so what are you thinking even about how this is going to unfold? I mean, it's going to be a wild ride. Pretty much. I mean, I think people, players can start picking up player options like in about 10 days, I think it is. And so we're going to be just off and running. I mean, I would expect, you know, a flood. No one's been able to make a move for what, nine months now. So you can imagine there's been some stuff in the background, both in terms of free agency trades draft, all of it's been going on without being able to be made official. And so, you have to imagine as soon as, you know, the doors are opened, as you say, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be difficult to keep track of everything going on on all different levels at the same time. Right. You know, it's funny. I think about, you you know, when, you know, last year we had free agency kind of come in when I guess it was like what, nine o'clock Eastern or six o'clock Eastern, yeah, whatever yeah, it was yeah. on that day. And like, you should get a flood of notifications. And right now it's kind of like we're on edge to know when that first date is going to be. And you mentioned player options and things of that nature. And it's especially relevant for a team like the Toronto Raptors. When you look at the outlook for what they have as they approach free agency, it's no secret that this is going to be a transitional off season for Toronto. Um, obviously the big names there, there's Fred Van Vliet, who we've talked about, you know, he could very well end up being the highest in demand free agent this off season with, you know, AD obviously resigning with the Lakers and Brandon Ingram mm-hmm. having any offer sheet matched by the Pelicans and after that like is, is there a more desirable free agent than than Fred Van Vliet I certainly don't think so they're definitely not for title contenders I mean I think some teams might value a player like Montrezl Harrell as yeah. kind of you know your your floor raiser type player you know to use a cliche but I think if you're looking to win a title immediately I don't know how you'd look at anyone uh past Fred Van Vliet as a more important and impactful player right away yeah, and he's a guy who is going to get paid this offseason. Yeah, you know, we've heard it on every broadcast, and we've talked about it here and there. He's going to get paid. And, you know, after him, it's not just him, obviously. It's Serge Ibaka who's going to be in demand. Don't know the situation with Marcus Gasol right now, though. Those rumors that he was going back home to finish his career, and they seem to be a little bit unfounded and baseless. Who knows what he's going to do? Obviously, he didn't really look like himself uh during the restart and and a lot of times throughout last season he's just getting older and he had injury issues and beyond them you know Rondé House Jefferson kind of carved himself a nice role with the Raptors last year Chris Boucher is a restricted free agent but you can't help but think that he might command some interest because he's shown value as a player who 
is confident in letting his shot fly and he can protect the rim a little bit. And then Stanley Johnson is a guy who has a player option, like you mentioned, and I can't imagine him turning that down, but, (laughs) but that being said, it just seems like, you know, there's a, there's a lot of things going on with the Raptors. And and I guess we, we talked about Fred Van Vliet a little bit, and I would assume that he would be number one on this list. But when you look at prioritizing these guys going into the off season, especially with this quick window of time in which you have, how do you think the Raptors should go about who they keep and, and what they need to do as far as approaching this free agency period? Well, I think the question the Raptors have to ask themselves really in every decision they make this off season is how will it impact them in the future? Mm-hmm. Um, specifically next summer with their flexibility uh, in terms of having um, almost their entire cap space available outside of, outside of uh, Pascal Siakam and Norm Powell as a player option. But other than that, no other player is guaranteed under Ross or under contract for next summer. So I do think when they're looking at it, they have to say, okay, which players out of those do we, are we willing to uh, eat into that cap space to sign long-term? Mm-hmm. Uh, and for me, the player, the only player that that is an unambiguous yes for would be Fred VanVleet. Mm-hmm. Um, he's the only player on the list, I think, who you say that's a player who we're willing to not necessarily restrict ourselves next summer, but have as a foundation when we go to uh, future free agents and future trade talks, whatever that may be, and say, this is the foundation of our team is Pascal Siakam and Fred VanVleet. Yeah, I think that's a big thing that I've kind of thought about and discussed a little bit. You know, there's one thing as as having the flexibility to bring in the guys who are going to be free agents in 2021. Obviously, the big fish is Giannis. We don't know what's Mm -hmm. going to happen with that, but everybody knows that I've seen probably a thousand photoshops of him in Raptors uniforms. They even have got it with the new uniforms that the team hasn't even worn yet. I've seen Giannis photoshopped in those already, too. So it's no secret with that. And I know the big part of it is obviously the flexibility to be able to make it happen. But also you have to say that this is a, a, a team that, you know, you can win with, you know, if this team doesn't have a Fred Van Vliet, then why would somebody want to go there? If you just to just play with a team that, you know, obviously Pascal is, is an all-star an all NBA type guy and Norman Powell, if he were to stay, we know what he's capable of doing at his peak, but that doesn't necessarily move the needle for a guy looking to win right away, which is what Giannis would do. Obviously, if, if he were to move on from where he is now, he'd be looking to go and compete for a title right away. And that's kind of one of the things we talked about uh, it, when when looking at Serge Ibaka's free agency. One thing that kind of came up was the, the potential of him maybe signing a one-year deal for a lot of money to stay in Toronto and then figuring out from there, do you think that's likely? Or, or I know we can't get into Serge's mind and what he's thinking, but do you think there's going to be like a balance between do I stay in Toronto and, you know, maybe one year 25 or, or go somewhere who has a lot of money to offer me and maybe not have as good of a chance to win? Yeah, I do think if the Raptors, I think from the Raptors perspective, the ideal scenario is bringing Serge back on a one-year deal, especially looking at the other options in this class. You're just not going to be able to find a player or players to replace uh, what Serge brought to this team last year and you expect moving forward. Um, like he, it's just this class, it has its strengths, this, this free agent class, uh, top tier two way, uh, centers is not one of them. Uh, I would say depth might be the the strength. And so if you look at bringing back surge on that one year deal, like you said, and then finding depth pieces to play behind him to replace potentially a Marcus all, should he go elsewhere or return to Spain, whatever the, you know, ends up happening there. 
and a Chris Boucher if he signs uh, a an offer sheet that the Raptors aren't willing to to match. Um, I think that one year deal where you say you essentially say to Serge, we want you to stay. We need you if we're going to win a title, yeah. but we aren't necessarily willing to commit multi years. Even though we'd love to have you back for multiple years, it's just at the as it stands right now. We'll reward you the way we can with this money, but not necessarily lock you in for a bunch of years. Kind of like a Contavious call with Pope type thing, just with a, exactly, a very different yeah. type of player. But but that that makes sense. And and I think it's interesting that you mentioned this class of of free agents. And we've kind of talked a little bit about on the site um, certain guys who have been linked to the Raptors and free agency, certain guys who uh, will be available in free agency. And and you look talk about Fred Van Vliet and the importance of keeping him. And you look at the, the point guards that are available in this free agent class. And, you know, it's like, are you replacing Fred Van Vliet with DJ Augustine or, or Jeff Teague or, or Rondo, who's going to command a lot of money, probably not a lot, but he, he really showed a lot for himself this postseason. And same thing with, uh, you know, the, the, the front court. Montrez Harrell is a guy who's been linked to the Raptors, but it's like a complicated fit. And I don't necessarily see it. It just seems like something that um, people – like to say because it's a big name and, and whatever but there's a lot of things that would have to happen to make that work as well and then there's christian wood and i saw recently something gained some steam online that the raptors should give a long hard look at bobby portis you know it's, it's stuff like that that that's kind of come out but because you mentioned the limitations of this class and it's almost like the calm before the storm of next year's big class do you think that the raptors are in trouble or it adds a little bit of importance to retaining who they have or trying to do what they can because there aren't really adequate replacements for them out there. Um, I do think that, I mean, in trouble might be a little strong, but I do think you will struggle if specifically to replace a surge. I think there are players where you can kind of piece together um, what you saw from Marcus all especially yeah. in the bubble. Yeah. You would hope to upgrade it a little bit, but I'm not sure that's possible in this class. But I don't think you're going to find a spe- specifically a center that can replace the the, the, the shooting, uh, the rebounding, and, the, and the, the shot blocking. So shot blocking has diminished. That Serge yeah. Ibaka brings to this team. Um, you know, potentially you could look at a guy, maybe like a Paul Millsap mm-hmm. would be an interesting kind of name to throw out there. I'm not sure what he is commanding on the open market at this point, given yeah. his decline, uh, potentially a Jeremy Grant type guy too. Although he, you'd struggle to play him at center. I think right. he's a little too undersized to fit into that role. Um, so there are players. I don't think it's, you know, panic time. If, if Serge, signs a, a three-year deal with whoever the Knicks, whoever it might be mm-hmm. um, just to throw a name out there who has money. Yeah. But because there are players out there that I think the Raptors would be intriguing options for, but definitely when you're looking at, uh, you know, institutional consistency and just fit knowing that the player will contribute and, and be a good fit with specifically Pascal Siakam and, and with Kyle Lowry, I think Ibaka is far and away the best fit to bring back on a one-year type deal like that. For sure, yeah. You know, you didn't didn't get a shout-out to, to the guy Aaron Baines hitting step-back threes against the uh, Trailblazers earlier this year. But, it, you know, it, it's funny. It, it, that's that's kind of speaks to the the class, though. You know, it's like we, we say a couple names, and then we're like, oh, okay, well, that's Aaron Baines. He can he can hit threes now, and he's a solid force, but also he's on the older side. And, uh, you know, that's kind of speaks to 
this free agency class. And I, you know, another thing that I kind of want to double back on as well is some of, and it's like it's a two-headed, a two-sided thing because there's guys like you know Rondé Hollis Jefferson, who I said earlier, kind of carved himself a role, and I think that is something that Raptors fans should be encouraged by because they do have a history, specifically Nick Nurse, of finding guys who, and Rondé was was solid in Brooklyn, but guys who nobody would really you know make a priority to get on the open market, and they are able to get the most out of them more often than not. And, and I, you know, I, I kind of, we kind of mentioned Stanley Johnson and Jess earlier, but I, I, he kind of turned a corner towards the end of the year. And it kind of leads me to believe that there is something that's going on in Toronto. They do something right and getting the most out of these guys. So there could be some bargain bin type free agents that end up in Toronto that you never really expect. You know, it could be a guy and, I, and I'm not, too familiar with the class top to bottom but you know you know if the Raptors find themselves getting a guy who was you know a former first round pick or or a top 20 pick um you know who didn't command much interest I think that's something to still be encouraged by because I think Nick Nurse has shown that as a coach and as an ability to connect with people he can get the most out of guys and I do think maybe this year even more than most given the you know the constrained time frame that we're talking about mm-hmm where the draft free agency and then the season starting, you know, less than a month later, potentially we don't know for sure, but right. we're going to operate under that assumption. There could be guys, you know, kind of in that Rondé Hall Jefferson range where he's signing last year's contract, I believe it was one year uh, and two point something million. There could be guys in that range where you, they're an afterthought. They sign, you know, mm-hmm. in December at some point, you know, as training camps already started. Uh, and then they come in and then end up being valuable contributors to a team that, you know, last year, we obviously were hoping uh, the injuries don't repeat themselves, but this mm-hmm. was a team that had the depth to survive injuries. Yeah. Unlike very few teams in this league do. Uh, and so I do think even past the top three guys, the top three names, uh, getting those depth pieces to come in, whether they're already on the, the roster or, you know, are at the bottom sort of rungs of free agency will be an important thing to watch over the next month or so. One name that I'm, as I'm scrolling through the list of free agents that kind of seems to fit that bill a little bit. He was a big time recruit coming out of high school, had injury issues and, you know, he's going to be a unrestricted free agent uh, this off season is Harry Giles. I don't know how much he's going to command on the, on the market, but I know one of the big things that, he was said to be able to do is be a, a passer. He's got size, he's skilled, and it seems like he's just as run running to roadblocks, which seems to happen to a lot of guys who find themselves in Sacramento to start their career. So maybe maybe he's the type of guy who needs a new situation, a new environment. Getting out of Sacramento could be that. I don't know what he's going to command. I don't know if there's going to be any mutual interest, but could you see somebody like that having an impact in Toronto? Absolutely. I think there are a couple – another name – he also happens to be a king, which I don't know, maybe you want to read more into that, but is Alex Len, who's yeah. a very different type of player, but mm-hmm. he's, they're both big men who kind of get lost in the shuffle a little bit yeah. as Alex Len was even higher. I Well, I don't know what his recruiting situation was like, but he was a top five pick who kind of lost his luster over, uh, you know, a disappointing tenure in Phoenix. And then Atlanta, he turned into a decent player mm-hmm. um, and then got traded Sacramento where he kind of got, lost in the shuffle along with the Harry Giles behind, you know, Sacramento, not really sure in which direction they're going, you know, it's one of those situations. So I do think players like that, that 
if they were drafted later or had were kind of came onto the scene later and didn't have those high expectations that they somewhat haven't met to this point, those players do exist every year. You can find those guys. Uh, and I do think looking at the, the Raptors history of player development um, and talent, you know, recognition, I do think if they find a guy like that, there is reason to think that they can be, you know, maybe not the third big on this team, but potentially fourth or fifth, depending on, you know, how the down roster moves go. Yeah, I like the fact that you mentioned the player development. The proof is very much in the pudding there. You know, Fred Van Vliet is a guy who was like a, a D-League guy who ends up getting an NBA Finals MVP vote. Pascal Siakam goes from being D-League Finals MVP to being most improved player to being all NBA in the span of, you know, three or four years, which is, is really unreal. And you can say the same thing for, you know, Norman Powell, who's been a project and kind of come up through the ranks. And, and that leads me to kind of ask the question about just – the roster as it stands now you know we said they're not going to be that many guys um on the the team after this upcoming season but a few names that stick out and i and i I put og as you know upper tier he's he's established at this point but you know you've got your two-way guys in o'shea Brissett and and paul watson matt thomas showed the ability to be you know an elite shooter and and stanley johnson is a guy who again we mentioned a little bit but like we said he was a top 10 pick for a reason and he's only what twenty four years old, you know. Tw- you know, so it's crazy to think that he's been written off by so many people at this point. But there are guys like that where, oftentimes, and and even even bringing back Chris Boucher, he's he's older, but he's still young as far as he hasn't been in the league very long. So, do you envision in in some case the answer is on the roster? You hear that a lot. People say that you know the answer's on the roster. Don't freak out. The answer's on the roster. And I think that the Raptors and the way they develop talent kind of gives you a reason to be encouraged by that. Yeah, I do think with where the roster kind of sits right now, you can't operate under the assumption that it's on the roster. There's not that logical guy that you see, even even the way that Chris Boucher kind of showed signs uh, a year ago going into the season that he might step in to be a valuable role player. I'm not sure that guy's on the roster. You, you mentioned Matt Thomas, who, who showed promise, mm-hmm. um, what we do that we understand what his limitations are in terms right. of turning into a full rotation guy. Right. Uh, so there, there is hope that some of these guys potentially a Patrick McCaw who, you know, it, it feels like year five of saying he might <laughs> jump into yeah. that rotation and be a solid rotation piece. But there is reason to think that the, if the Raptors only have walk come into the season with eight guys, seven or eight guys who, you know, are rotation pieces, they'll be able to, to build up those bottom kind of rungs of where, you know, it's a random night in February, you need a guy to step up. They, they've proven over and over again that those guys can step in. I'm not sure we're going to see if they have that guy, you know, the, the next uh, Fred Van Vliet, the next Nolan Powell. I'm not sure that guy's on the roster yet. Yeah. You never know where the draft might land, but that's we'll true. see. That's true. Yeah, and I think that's a big thing too. This is an interesting year uh, for the Raptors as far as the draft goes. And speaking of the draft, is a good time to remind you that – NBA draft experts Kyle Irving and Eric Fawcett will be back on the Raptors Pod Table podcast very soon with a preview of the Raptors draft. They have two draft picks for the first time in a while. They pick 29 and 59, which 
for most franchises, you'd be like, oh, what, what can they do there? But the Raptors <laughs> find diamonds in the rough. Doesn't matter if it's undrafted, late first round, whatever. So I, I think that that is something I didn't consider. You know, there's, there's draft picks and they've been working guys out. They've worked out some some guards um, that where there again, there could be some flexibility when opening of guards. And I think we, we kind of talked about the reputation that this Raptors franchise has, Masai Ujiri, Bobby Webster, and Nick Nurse. And kind of having that trust in them the same way you trust what happens in, in these front offices like in San Antonio or in other sports like in New England or whatever. And New England might be a bad uh, example this year with the way the Patriots looking. But, you know, the Raptors are kind of moving into that echelon of sustained greatness to where it's like they're going to figure it out. You know, it, do- it doesn't really matter, you know, what what's put, put in front of them they'll figure it out eventually. And I, and I think that that, again, is another reason, given all these variables, especially the big one of us just not knowing about the season, that, that you can still be confident about the outlook for them this upcoming year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's a reason to, coming into free agency, to not expect a massive splash, them to throw a massive deal at a player like Montrezl Harrell or, you know, maybe even like a Danilo Gallinari. I don't expect a player like that to end up a Raptor just because they have that sort of development and the institutional stability where they believe they might not be able to turn a player into Montrezl Harrell, but they can turn a player into a good enough replacement for a player like that, that you don't need to go out and spend whatever Montrose Harrell is going to get $25 million a year. You don't need to go out and do that because you can develop players. You have the stars in place. Uh, you have that starting lineup in place and you can build behind that with your player development. Yeah. Yeah. That, I don't think we would think that these are the type of front office execs to make short-sighted moves. And, and that's again, something that is, seems pretty simple and it seems like everybody should be that way, but <laughs> we see it year after year. So many franchises set themselves back three and four years by thinking they can do something that'll fix them right away. And then they just, that's how you are perpetually bad. That's how you're some of those franchises that we talk about in having problems with developing players and, and not making the playoffs and having long droughts. So I think that's interesting. And, and the biggest thing again is because we're, as we sit here, you know, the, the first to second week of November, the draft is, you know, right around the corner and then the season could very well be around the corner as well. I think that having a, such a solid foundation as this Raptors franchise has benefits them with all the unknowns and, and kind of the way it's shaping right now, it's giving me some shades of that lockout season in 2011, 2012, in which things kind of came together really quickly. And there was so much stuff. The only thing that's different is that the draft is happening in November where the draft happened in normal time that year. Um, but but things are coming together so quickly. Do you have confidence in the Raptors still being a contender? And, and I guess by contender, I guess there's there's different levels of contention. Um, given everything and the way what we know now, I guess assuming that they're able to bring the important guys back, the Nets are coming. The Bucks are still going to be trying to prove themselves as a, as a title winner to, to retain Giannis. The Heat are the defending Eastern Conference champs. The Celtics are are back and and. Philly's got a new coach. Indiana's got a new coach. Where do you see Toronto falling in all of this? I know it's hard to kind of project that based on what we don't know, what we do know, but how do you see that unfolding? I I mean, I think in this year, more than, you know, just about any year, even more than last year, but the uh, institutional stability, which is a phrase I've used a lot, but (laughs) it it applies more to the Raptors than just about anyone in the league right now. 
it benefits them. They know how to get to a certain threshold of good, whether they can get to great and, and compete with the Milwaukee's, you know, maybe the Miami's definitely potentially Boston, you know, maybe Philadelphia, who knows, but who knows? <laughs> it's the petrol question, you know, but <laughs> you know, that is, that is where the, what happens with Marcus Saul, mm-hmm. what happens, whether they can get, um, Chris Boucher back or find a decent replacement. That's going to be the threshold that, that pushes them from, you know, from a, a very solid playoff team. I don't expect their floor to be any lower than that. I don't, you know, no one's questioning whether this is a playoff team. The question is whether when they get matched up in, you know, the second round with Boston or whoever it may be mm-hmm. this next year, whether they have the, the seventh and eighth men to compete and, and push them over the edge. Uh, in that kind of series, which I would expect, but uh, obviously it's, there's a lot to be decided. Yeah, yeah, and I, I, I like that you you pointed out about them their their floor and what we expect uh, the bare minimum from them. I think so many people learned their lesson this past year about counting this Raptors team out, and I think again, like it's a great phrase to use the institutional stability. Um, you know, Nick Nurse in his second year has already got one of his assistants, you know, getting a job somewhere else. All of these things kind of contribute. Think about you know, how successful this Raptors team has been and, and obviously winning a title validated that, but I don't think that they even needed the title, the, the validation of that title. When you look back at their record over the past six, seven, eight years, the, the amount of times they've made it to postseason over and over again. And especially this past year, losing Kawhi, all the injuries they had still had the second best record in the league. So again, if you're a Raptors fan, you feel confident in that and, and understanding and knowing that there's going to be big picture moves to be made and, and, you know, even if you don't land the big fish, they're going to be in a pretty good position for the future after this upcoming season. So it's definitely exciting times, I would say, and, and going to be make for a very interesting thing, because, again, I think next year is more than any year, anybody's year, at least the beginning of it. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I, I think this is as wide open as we've ever seen. We said that last year, yeah. Um, too, which it was true. We, we there wasn't a juggernaut team that mm-hmm. ran as good as the Lakers were and as good as dominant as they looked at times in the playoffs. They they were a beatable team, and I don't foresee a team with Brooklyn coming back up or up in in the first place uh, with Golden State coming back, and yeah. not really any of those true contenders falling off you know you could argue maybe at houston but so you know it, it feels like this is as deep of a uh you know contender pool as we've had in years which i think is reason for the raptors to be really opt- you know optimistic about their chances is there's not that one juggernaut that you have to build your roster to mm-hmm. be yeah um, it's it's very much based on playing the right team at the right time and, and making it run the way Miami did this past year. Exactly. I was going to say, nobody predicted Miami doing what they did and they had that perfect matchup and, and meeting up with Milwaukee. And, and like you said, you're not building teams to beat a specific team. You're kind of winning your own way and, you know, kind of doing that thing. And, and whoever kind of ultimately has that, that, that best path is, is the team that comes out on top. Um, before I let you go, um, first of all, thank you again for your time so much. We we are, are again quickly approaching the NBA season. How quickly we don't know. We don't even know where some teams like the Raptors might be playing their home games. Who knows? Um, but but do you have any big bold predictions from what we might see? Uh, you know, around the draft time, there there going to be some trade rumors swirling, um, and obviously free agency. Who knows? Could be starting as soon as uh, the the final week of November. So is anything big you think might be looming uh, coming up? 
I, I just have a gut feeling and, you know, take everything I say with a grain of salt, but I feel like Indiana is going to make a big trade. I don't know whether it's both Miles Turner and Victor Oladipo. I don't know where they send them, but that seems like a team that we know who the sellers are in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, or well, we know, excuse me, we know who the buyers are in some ways, right. you know, a team like Golden State specifically. Um whether Indiana jumps into that to say we're it's time to rebuild with a new with a new coach, mm-hmm. um, with you know a kind of another year of playoff disappointment, you know injuries played a large role in that. But I do feel like a player like Victor Oladipo in a year where I don't expect a Bradley Beal to get traded, Victor Oladipo might be that that trade piece that teams look at and say that's the guy who can push us over the edge. There you go. You heard it here first. If if Victor Oladipo or Miles Turner gets moved, I want Matt Blum to get the credit. You heard it here first on the Raptors Pod Table podcast. Again, Matt, thanks so much. Like I said, he has been writing for NBA.com for some time now. Please check out his stuff on the website. We've got plenty of coverage ahead of the NBA draft and whenever the offseason starts, that as well. And the Raptors, very, very busy free agency period, all on NBA.com for you guys. Until next time, Keep it locked in. Subscribe to the Raptors Pod Table podcast so we can show up right to, at the top of your feed. Give us good ratings and feedback as well because we appreciate it very much. For Matt Blum, I'm Gil McGregor, and we will catch you next time.